Good morning. Uh, let me request you to please turn to God's word in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1. It's going to be a long read, but please follow with me. Luke, chapter 1. We'll read and consider verses 39 all the way to 80. And I read. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greetings of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women. And blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that, that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and the holy and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son, and her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child, and they, and they would have called him Zechariah after his father. But his mother answered, No, he shall be called John. And they said to her, None of your relatives is called by this name. And they made signs to his father, inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, His name is John. And they all wondered. And immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosened, and he spoke, blessing God. And fear came on all their neighbors, and all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, What then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the God, the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people, and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. 
as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy, uh, to show the mercy promise to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father, Abraham, to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will, be, you will go before the Lord to prepare his way, to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercies of our God, whereby the sun rise shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child grew and became strong in the spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. Let us go before the Lord and ask him for help. Our Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning. We thank you that you have been pleased to gather us in your presence. We ask you that even as you have gathered us, even as you have blessed us with your presence, that you would help us to now enjoy of your word. For what a delight, what a joy it is when children meet with their father and they get to hear from him. And so we pray and ask you and plead with you that you would speak to us through your word. That as we see your great works, that we would honor and praise you and we would trust you, O Heavenly Father. We pray that Christ would be exalted in every heart. We pray that your Holy Spirit would convict every person of their sin and would cause that your word would produce fruit, fruit that honors and glorifies you, that the believer would know you more and more and would be submitted to you, that the sinner would be saved, that the weak would be strengthened, that the careless would be warned this day, and that all of us would be drawn near you, O Heavenly Father. So please hear us and be glorified in our midst. For we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, being near Christmas, um, I'm sure many of us have visited supermarkets or uh, malls. And one of the things I've noticed that happens a lot during this time is that there is a specific kind of uh, marketing that happens. And that is the marketing where you're given uh, a free product. You know, you have someone at the entrance of the supermarket that you're going into who is maybe selling, like I remember the other day we found uh, this lady who was uh, giving us a, a taste of the new Fanta. And uh, they would just put a little bit of it in a small cup and you would taste it and then they would encourage you now go and buy it go and get more of it you know you have someone maybe who is selling 
a company that sells bread or that sells uh, maybe a certain snack, they would give you a little bit of a taste. You enjoy it, you feel it, so that then you may be able, from that taste, be able to go and buy their product. Well, I would say that looking at the Bible, God deals with us in a sort of a similar way. That the way that God markets himself, if I can use that word, is that he tells us, taste and see that the Lord is good, isn't it? Taste and see. Taste the works of God. Taste the salvation of God. Don't just hear about the works of God. Don't just uh, uh, read about them. Taste and see that God is true. That his promises are true. That his works are real. He is not false. The God of the Bible is a God who is true. And so this morning, in a sense, I want to give you a test from three witnesses. So that as we test, we will see that the Lord is good. And our response will be to trust him. Our response will be to go to him knowing that he is a God who does great works. And we have three witnesses who I would want us to get to hear from them, to get to see when they tested of the Lord, what was their testimony. So this morning, let us look at the great workings of God that are thrice declared or proclaimed or praised this morning from this passage. So first of all, I want us to see from this passage that Elizabeth gives her testimony of God. She tests of the Lord. And what does she think of the Lord? What does she say of the Lord so that we may hear, so that we may respond correctly this morning? Well, here is her statement that God works to fulfill his word. That the God of heaven works to fulfill his word. We see this from her testimony. We are told that Mary comes to visit her. And immediately Mary greets her. Something happens. She notices something. The baby leaps in her womb and being filled with the Holy Spirit, she says or she proclaims the workings of God. And in her testimony, she begins by declaring and by showing that God works to fulfill his word. This is what she says to Mary. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her. She sees Mary, and the one thing she tells her, blessed are those who believe that God indeed does what he says, that God works to fulfill his word. Now, the attribute of God's faithfulness is one of the aspects of God that the scriptures bring to the forefront. 
when it comes to how God deals with his people. We have it recorded throughout the Bible that when God promises, he does. When God promised Adam, you will surely die. Did Adam surely die? He died, isn't it? Adam is not with us today. When he promised Noah that there would be a flood and no one had ever seen rain in those days. No one had ever seen waters that were gathered in such a way and therefore they were wondering, Noah, what is this thing that you are calling a flood? Why are you building this ark? Why are you using so much of your energy and your time to build the ark? Do you really think it will flood? What happened? Did God fulfill his word? He fulfilled it and there was a worldwide flood. A flood that was so big, that was so great that we are told the highest of the mountains was covered by the waters. Can you imagine that? Whatever mountain this is, whether it's Everest, can you imagine Everest covered with water? And it killed every living thing that was not in the ark. God fulfilled his word. When God told Abraham, by this time next year, you will have a son. Did God keep his promise? He kept his promise. Whenever God speaks, or what we see in the Bible, whenever God says something, he is not like man. He keeps his word. In this passage, we have recorded, or we have for us recorded that Mary, having heard the word of God, that she would conceive by the power of the Holy Spirit, goes to Elizabeth for encouragement, for, for her to see that this is true. And Elizabeth confirms to her the word of God being true. That indeed, blessed is he who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. This is the great message that Mary had from Elizabeth. What God promised you, what God said by the angel, God will do it. God has actually done it. And this is to show then that the conception of the Messiah had taken place. It was real. It was true. The Messiah was there in her body in such a way that John the Baptist, being in his mother's womb, acknowledges it, that the Lord is near. The Lord is here. He leaps. The word of God has been fulfilled. The word of God has been so fulfilled. Can you imagine this? That even a child in the womb realizes it. That's how real God is in his faithfulness. 
That's how God is in fulfilling his word, that when he says it, he will do it. It might delay, or to us it might seem like it is delaying, it is taking too long. Perhaps we think God has forgotten about it. No, whatever God says in his word, it will happen. And we need to be reminded of this reality, dear brethren, this morning. Because a lot around us is focused on making us to distrust the word of God. The chart of the world around us is in such a way that it, it makes us not to trust the word of God. For example, when you hear people talk about, will Christ really return? Will he return? How many years has it been since Christ ascended into heaven? Ah, it's been so long. He will not return. That's what people are saying. And they're even joking about it. But we know that when God promises, when God declares something, he will surely do it. He will work. God works to fulfill his word. This is what the Bible says in Isaiah, for example, Isaiah 55, verse 10 and 11. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, uh, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out of my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. Elizabeth knows this. She has tasted of the Lord. She knows if there is one thing she knows about God is that God will fulfill his word. And Isaiah here shows us this wonderful truth. He speaks of the word of God as accomplishing its purpose and succeeding. In other words, nothing is able to block the fulfillment of God's word. In Numbers 23 and verse 19, the Bible says, God is not a man that he should lie, or a son of man that he should change his mind. As he said, and will he not do it? Or has he spoken? And will he not fulfill it? Now I know we all in one way or another suffer from the problem of distrust. And sometimes we distrust because we have been someone has not proved to be true to their word. Someone has sold us a product, they've told us, taste. And when you go and you buy the product, it's not what the sample was. Or someone promised to do something for you. And they never kept their word. They promised they would marry you, they didn't marry you. They promised they would pay school fees for you, they didn't pay school fees or they only paid a certain amount and then they left you hanging. 
or they promised that they will always be there for you. And they were not there for you. That is true of men. That is true of man. And it's true of man because even the best intentioned man cannot keep their word faithfully. Why? Because we are only mortal beings, isn't it? I can promise you that tomorrow I will meet with you at 2 p.m. But then things can happen. There can be traffic. There can be uh, something can happen to me. I can be ill or uh, just something crazy may happen that is out of my control and I'm not able to fulfill my word, isn't it? But that's not the case with God. What God says, he will do. This is what Elizabeth proclaims to Mary. This is what Elizabeth is telling us this morning. Blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Blessed are those, the most blessed people, are the people who've tasted and they have seen God to be true in keeping his word. And this is especially, I speak to those who may be seated here or watching me via the live stream, and you might be wondering, well, will God really send sinners to an eternity of hell? Will God really separate sinners from himself for all eternity? Well, if God says it, will surely, he will do it. Be assured of that. Whoever sins is an enemy to God and they are under the judgment of God. And God has promised that he will not let the guilty go unpunished. That's what he said to Moses. They will not go unpunished. Well, then what do you do? The wonderful message is that this Messiah who was conceived in the womb of Mary, he is the savior of us sinful humanity. God has promised in his word that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Be assured of that. Be sure that God will fulfill that word. He will save, he will forgive whoever comes to Christ. God is not a man to lie, to say he'll forgive you, but then at the end of the day, bring back your sins against you. In Christ, this wonderful promise is given. That all who are in Christ are the sons of God. All who are in Christ are forgiven of their sins. All who are in Christ are made holy before God. Believe this word. Blessed are those who this morning believe this word. To the believer who may be seated here, and yes, you have believed in Christ and you're wondering, yes, I believed in Christ, but 
Things are not working out for me. There are many challenges in life. Is God still good? Is God still faithful? Oh yes, God is still good. God is still faithful. As you go through the storms, God did not promise that he will not take you through storms. God has promised that he will be with us in those storms. He will walk with us. He will sustain us. He will keep us. And we need, dear brethren, to believe this word. Blessed are those seated here this morning who believe that God is faithful and true to his word. That he will keep his people to the end. That no one given to him will be lost. A wonderful truth of God proclaimed by Elizabeth. God works to fulfill his word. But then what is the other thing that we see about God that is proclaimed? Well, Elizabeth has tasted and seen. She has felt it in her womb with the baby leaping that God fulfill, fulfills his word. But then what does Mary say about God and God's work? What has she tasted of the Lord? And what can she say? Or what does she say to us this morning as the Holy Spirit had inspired her? Well, we are told or we see in this passage that she breaks out into a song. And you know, that's one of the wonderful realities of, of God's word. Whenever we think of God's faithfulness to keep his word, songs are the things that come out of our hearts. And it's why I, I believe looking at Ephesians chapter, Ephesians chapter 5, one of the ways or one of the things that we see about those who are filled with the Spirit is that they do what? They sing songs, isn't it? Don't, don't underestimate the wonderful blessing of singing songs. Whenever we are gathered to sing in the morning, don't think that that's the most, uh, it's only this part where the word of God is being preached, which is important, and the rest, uh, we can simply sideline it. Oh, no. When we hear the word of God, it is, as it is preached, we must sing it out. It must cause us to sing that wonderful reality. And we see from David that, uh, from, sorry, from Mary that when she hears this, when she hears that God has fulfilled his word, spoken to her, she sings. She's overjoyed, especially to know that the God of heaven has been pleased to work through her. Mary looks at herself. She looks, looks at her status. And she is overwhelmed by the reality that God would use her, a small, young, unknown teenage girl in Israel, a poor girl, 
We are not told anything about higher education. Yet God is pleased to use her. She's not wealthy. She's not a princess. She's not the star of Israel. But God is pleased to use her. What she shows us is that God works to help the weak. That God sees the state of the weak. And that God is especially pleased when he helps them or when he uses them. Look at the people the world chooses to work with. Whenever the world decides to do a project, who does it call? Whenever we hear of a commission being formed for one reason or another, who are chosen? It is the best, isn't it? The most educated, the famous, the most eloquent, the beautiful, the good-looking, the well-connected. That's what the world does, isn't it? But look at this. What we see from this passage is that God works counter the world. God doesn't work the way the world thinks. And this is not just true for Mary, but it is true for all redemptive history. Look at redemptive history. If you look at a man like Abraham, when God called him, who was Abraham? We are told in the book of Joshua that he was a he was a moon worshipper. You never thought that, right? Read your Bible in the book of Joshua. Abraham was a moon worshipper in Ur of the Chaldeans. He wasn't a king. The Lord chooses to use him. A weak man, a man without his own biological son, his wife is barren, he's old and advanced in years. She is old and advanced in years. How about Moses? Well, he was in the, the, the house of Pharaoh. We can say, well, he was in the king's house. But what are we told about Moses? He was a stammerer, isn't it? I mean, if there was a committee to choose a prophet, Moses would not be number one in our list, isn't it? He would probably maybe be number six, seven, or maybe for some of us even 20. Or not even on the list. We want someone who, when he speaks to Pharaoh, you know, his voice just vibrates through the room. But then God says, my prophet will be this man who stumbles. This man who can't speak. 
this man who is not well thought of by people. The weak, the weak, the humble. Those are the people who the Lord loves to help. How about Israel? We read this passage, our brother Mukeda read it for us. Deuteronomy 7, verse 6 and 7. The Lord, your God, has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the people who are on the face of the earth. It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love and chose you, for you are the fewest of all peoples. In other words, you are the weakest of all the people. You are a slave people, and I loved you. God did not go to the biggest nation. He could have gone to the Greeks, isn't it? He could have gone to, to the um, Persians. He could have gone to the Mongols. Would have gone to the Vikings, warrior people. No, God chose a slave people, the weak. This is what Mary says. The theme of Mary's song is that the Lord has been pleased to exalt the weak. This is what she says. About the Lord. For he looked, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. And then verse 52. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. Do, we, do you see that? Do you see how God works that is very different from the way the world works, the way we work? And that is why one of the things in the Bible, we are told, for example, in Romans 12, to associate with the lowly, isn't it? Why is it that that command is there? Why is it that we are commanded, associate with the lowly? Don't just associate with the high and mighty with the famous, with the powerful, associate with the lowly people. Associate with them, not just say hi to them. Let them be your friends. Let them be close to you. There is something God-like when we associate with the lowly. If God the God of the Bible, if Yahweh, if Yahweh, the God of heaven, chooses the weak, the lowly, why is it that we despise them? Why is it that James has to rebuke the church by telling them, when you see someone well-dressed walking through the door, and you see someone who is poorly dressed, seated somewhere, you tell him, you know, you sit down and you, rich man, come and sit here. It is unlike God. It is ungodly. Mary praises the God who chooses the weak. 
Mary praises God for choosing a young, insignificant woman like herself to be used to bring the long-awaited Messiah. And she says this, For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. Why will they call me blessed? Because God has chosen me. Because God has loved me. Because God has been pleased to use me. In other words, Mary was saying, Lord, I am not the most qualified. There were many women in, that, in Israel at that time. Who looked like better candidates than Mary. There were those who were close to power. There were those who were close to religion. But God was pleased to use her. This is how God works, brethren. God uses the humble. God uses the broken. God uses the despised. The ignored. Do you feel ignored? Do you feel like no one ever sees the work that you do? That you just disappear in the, in the crowd? Do you feel like even pastor has never said hi to you and he doesn't acknowledge you, has never seen your gifts? Give praise to God because the God of heaven sees you. Your pastor may not see you. The church may not see you. But the God in heaven sees your service, your love, your care for the brethren. These are the people whom the Lord loves, the lowly of heart, not the proud. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and the rich he has sent away empty. This is how God works. And this is not new. The words of Mary are not new. Look at the words of Samuel's mother in 1 Samuel, chapter 2, verse 7 and 8. The Lord makes the, poor, uh, makes the poor and makes the rich. He brings low and he exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's and on them he has set the world. Daniel said this in Daniel, uh, sorry, this should be Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel 4 and verse 17. The Most High rules the kingdom of men, and listen to this, and gives it to whom he will and sets it and sets over it the lowliest of men. the lowliest of men, the most unexpected, most unlikely, are the people who the Lord chooses to use. It should be noted here that the Lord helps the weak by choosing to use them in his great purposes.
And we see this, again, continuing on, even in the New Testament. Who does the Lord choose to save? Who does the Lord choose to love? Well, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Have you ever felt disqualified for something? Disqualified for God's salvation? For God's love? Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I love this passage. Look at what Paul says. For the word of the cross, verse 18, for the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is a power of God. And then it continues to say, verse 20, where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. And then verse 26 to the end. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you are wise according to worldly standards. I look at this room and I don't see the great and the famous people. And that is God's plan. Don't wonder, don't ask yourself, why is it that we don't have the big people in this church? Sometimes be worried when you have many big people coming to your church. For consider your calling. Not many of you are wise according to the worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things, things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And that's the key. So that no one can boast before God. Mary can't boast and say, well, I know why God chose me. I'm the best. I was the best in my class. I'm the best person in my synagogue. I'm the best person and most well-known person in Israel. No. Therefore, God is glorified. This is how God works. But then thirdly, and as I conclude, how do we see the working of God proclaimed? Well, we have Zechariah testing, testing of the Lord and seeing that the Lord is good. And what does he see? That God has worked to bring redemption to all, to his people. He testifies of it. He proclaims it. He is amazed at God, God's great work. He looks at the whole of the redemptive history. 
and he looks at how humanity has been looking forward to the coming of the Messiah. You remember in Genesis chapter 3, when God promised the serpent that there will come the seed of the woman and he will crush your head? I mean, generation after generation have been waiting for this. They've been waiting for the seed of the woman to come. They've been waiting and wondering, with every child being born, is this the one? Is this the one? Is this the one who will do it? You can imagine uh, uh, the, Adam and Eve, and when they had their first son, their first two sons, Abel and Cain, Cain and Abel, and thinking maybe, maybe between Cain and Abel, maybe one of them is the seed of the woman. And one dies, and the other one is lost in sin. And it continues like that. Read the Bible. And people look at Noah and think, wow, is this finally the one? Noah is not the one. And it continues with Moses. Is he the one? Is he the Messiah? No. But then here Zechariah says, oh Lord, finally, finally you have done it. Finally, you have brought salvation. You have brought an end to the redemptive plan. It has culminated. And how has it culminated? We need to note that the birth of John the Baptist, as recorded in this passage, marked an important point in redemptive history. Since the fall of man, the righteous, as I, I, as I have said, were looking forward to the coming of the seed of the woman who would deliver humanity from death, from the devil and the consequences of sin. But now, with the birth of John the Baptist, we have a, the dawning of a new era. Actually, um, Zechariah speaks of it as the sun rising. That's what he says about it. It's like the sun rising. Why? Because John was the precursor to the Messiah. We are told that John is the last of the Old Testament prophets. And so the birth of John the Baptist marked the end of the Old Covenant or the Old Covenants and the ushering in of the New Covenant of the Messiah. He was coming to usher in the Messiah. John the Baptist was the last Old Testament prophet. prophet who will mark the closing of the old covenant and the ushering in of the new. And by this one act, John the Baptist being born, God was laying foundation for the coming of the Messiah. It was a big deal. This is 
the time that we have all been waiting for. This is what the righteous people have been waiting for. Salvation. Salvation full and free. Now it comes. Zechariah in responding to God's work by the Holy Spirit declares the work of God in salvation. God has given a horn of salvation. Horn there shows it's a picture of strength. It's a picture of an, uh, something that has the ability to destroy something else. You know, if, if you have ever seen animals uh, fighting, especially like antelopes, the one with the longest of horns, the strongest of horns, always wins, isn't it? And here we are being given that picture that finally God has established his works of salvation that through the Messiah, through Jesus Christ, with one blow, the works of sin, the works of Satan, the works of hell will be destroyed. Salvation here is pictured as the sunrise, which brings light to those who are under the shadow of death. We are also told that it is for the forgiveness of sins. This is what Zechariah proclaims. He sees what God is about to do. He sees what God has done. And he can't just stand still. He has to proclaim. He has to sing out the wonderful praises of God. God has fulfilled his word. God has set up the plan of salvation. It's like the way we, you can imagine if, if, if you, you, you live in a place where you have bad roads, like we have a very bad road out here, you know. It's a joyous thing when you finally see the people on site, isn't it? It's not just the MCA telling you, you know, we'll fix that road, we'll fix that road. When you finally see the people coming to site, you know, they, they are brushing, the road, the, the, they are cleaning, and you see the lorry, you know, pouring, the, or coming with uh, the, 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 the um, uh, I don't know what it's called, eh? but whatever it is that they pour on the road, you can imagine the joy it brings, isn't it? You, you, you know that finally, finally something is happening. This is what Zechariah is saying. I look at redemptive history. And looking at the son born, my son, John the Baptist, God is about to do a great thing. God is finally bringing the Messiah. And this is what we are going to be looking at next Sunday as we look at the birth of Christ and as we celebrate Christmas. This is the greatest event in history, brethren. Christ has come. Christ came to give salvation 
to all. Whoever believes in him, whoever calls on him, whether Jew, whether Gentile, whether rich, whether poor, whether from a Christian family or from a broken family, no matter your situation, run to this great Savior and he will save you. He will save you even today. This is the wonderful truth that is being proclaimed. Let us trust this God. Let us humble ourselves so that he may use us. And let us rejoice in his plan of salvation. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we come to you this afternoon. And we thank you for your word. We have seen how you, O oh Heavenly Father, you fulfill your word. What you say is what you do. And we thank you for this wonderful truth. And we pray that you may help us to trust you. That we may hope in you, knowing that whatever you have said, you will do. That when you promise that you will take care of us, we may trust you in that. That when you commanded us that we, would, we should not be anxious about what we will eat or drink or what we will wear. And that you will provide and take care of us, oh Lord. Please help us to trust in this word. We pray that you may help us also to humble ourselves. For we have seen in your word that you use the humble. You use those who bring themselves low. You use those who do not lift their heads high. Oh Lord, give us true genuine humility. And we thank you for salvation plan that through Christ, through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the new covenant being set up, has been set up and is now firm, is now working, and we are in it. We thank you. We pray that, O oh Lord, you may save the lost, that they would see the reality that the horn of your salvation has been established, that you have destroyed by this horn of your salvation, the works of sin, of death, of hell, and of Satan. That you have crushed the head of the serpent, O oh Lord Jesus, and that all who flee to you are free. Help us to enjoy this wonderful reality of your salvation. So be with us, for we ask this in Christ's name. Amen.